what's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond? Yeah, certainly am. It's been an action-packed weekend, hasn't it? For uh, Especially for Salford teams with the football team and the rugby league team. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, mate. It should be a good show. Yeah, so what we'll do, we'll start with the Rugby League and Salford Devils. They were in action, they were away against St Helens, the current champions of Super League, and we defeated 26 points to 12. Talk us through it, Paul. Game of two halves, Rob, it really was. I know it's an old cliche, but yeah, Salford not won there for 43 years. And, and, and today, you sort of fancied him in a way, because playing some good rugby, four wins on the spin, and you know with the James Roby situation, with him getting the, um, the all-time appearance record before the game, and the guard of honour, did perhaps you think it's going to Take a shine off of the off St. Helens' performance really and take their eye off the ball. And for, for parts of the first half, it did. Salford sort of didn't play the occasion. They stuck to their own game, took scored two fantastic tries. The first one from um, Brody Croft, after great work from Oliver Partington and King Von Iowa. Then Briley and Watkins linked up well to give Salford a 12 0 lead. And um, that first half was tough. There were some big hits going in. And sadly, we lost Shane Wright. He went off injured and looks like he broke his ankle. So that was a big miss for Salford and, you know, losing a player of his stature. Saints grabbed a try right before the break, 12-6. Um, the second half was a tale of imploding, really. Rob, the first 10 minutes of the second half, Saints scored three tries and from three Salford mistakes, really. Uh, Matty Costello failing to play the ball properly. Saints got the upper hand and scored from that. Then a couple of crazy passes uh, in their own half, gift-wrapped a lead for St. Helens and Salford had a lot of chances in the second half a lot of possession but for some reason nothing seemed to stick today the pressure seemed to get to them wayward passes were going all over the place and you know it was uh, they were too far behind then to come back they didn't capitulate but it was definitely a game of two halves and I think the Shane Wright incident losing him was a, was a big blow you know it seemed to to knock the kilter of the team really and not the way they were playing and knock a lot of the stuffing out of them so it was disappointing but you know there was a lot of effort there I don't think you can fault that it was just the the sort of composure really under pressure yeah so let's just break this down Paul Soft went in front 12-0 like you said two great tries one from Rodercroft and one from Ryan Briley um what was what was the feeling? Obviously, at that point, obviously we're we're away at St. Helens, away from home, twelve 0 up against the champions. I mean, Paul Rowley would would have been chuffed to bits at that point. Dreamland, Rob, twelve 0 I thought Salford were in complete control. Uh, they looked comfortable. St. Helens didn't really have any chances. Uh, they were bottling them up. There was they looked a bit lethargic. Saints, they, they, there was no running in them. No a team low on confidence, really. You know, considering they've they've lost a couple of games, they've lost three out of the last four. So, uh, so they were they were scratching a bit for confidence, and you know you could see they wanted a big performance for James Roby, but it wasn't working. Salford were were firmly in control, twelve nil up, playing some good stuff. The crowd behind the sticks were in were in really good voice, and people were sort of sensing, you know, there could be something on here. It, it, it was a really, really good, solid, strong first half performance. So at that point, Salford lead twelve nil. What went wrong? I mean, Salford conceded twenty eight unanswered. Sorry, 26 unanswered points at that point, uh, Paul. So, you know, what what went wrong in, with Paul Rowley's men? Well, despite the try, there was a try right in our time from, mm. um, I, think, I can't remember who scored it. No, it was um, the loose forward uh, for Saints. What's his name? Um, okay. Louis Cyril McCaff. Got the ball. No, James Bell. James Bell, Bell. Got, the, yeah. uh, got the try right in half time. And, you know, even with that, you still thought, yeah, we've had the better of that first half. We've been the better side. Mistakes, though. Mistakes at the start of the second half. As I mentioned there, Matty Costello penalised for not playing the ball properly. And that hands St. Helens some good position, sort of 20 yards away from the Salford line. And they score from that. They were certainly got that try. And it's 12, all of a sudden, it's 12 10. 
Then two more tries followed from, from really bad errors. As I said, the Reese Williams pass. He passed the ball there 40 yards sideways, right above Burgess' head. He couldn't take it in. Saints grab possession and, and, and score. So a real comedy try. And then we conceded another one very similar to that, you know, knocking the ball on and, and gifting it to them. So that's, that's they're, they're gift points then. And that, that's a hammer blow to your confidence. And, and St. Helens were then full of running their confidence about Sky High. They could sense a, a victory from there. So the momentum of the game changed sort of in that sort of 10, 15 minutes. Well, 10 minutes really after after half time. And uh, Salford have started to chase the game then. The pressure's getting to them. They know they've got to start forcing the pass to catch up. And that's when mistakes are made. I think the shot clock beaters were penalised for that. I mean, how many times do you see that? That's just a complete lack of composure, really. Yeah. And obviously, like, like you say, is that the flip side of, of Rowley Ball? We talk about Salford, you know, wonderful pa- attacking. There's passes, there's there's movement, there's open up defences. But unfortunately, when it when life is against you, we'll call it, sometimes it doesn't stick. And it seems to me, uh, in that second half, lots of turnover ball, lots of errors. Set Ellen just sort of gifted possession, gifted territory, and, uh, you know, punished us. When you, when you sort of unravel like that, against a team like St. Helens, they're a champion team, aren't they? And they'll just go for the throat and that's what they did. You, you know, you want to go and win at St. Helens. You've got to play well for 80 minutes. You've got to be consistent. You've got to complete your sets. You've got to, you can't afford to be, to be gifting a team like that with so much pace and, and power. I think the power as well, their pack had, had a field day in that second half and they were sort of smashing Salford coming forward there and, and they couldn't deal with it. They, they really couldn't deal with it and I think we were low on numbers as I said. We'd lost, uh, we lost Chris Atkin as well in the second half. Uh, so not Chris Atkin, Andy Ackers in the second half has failed his head, head test. So there were some big, big hits coming in there as well. Some probably borderline from St. Helens, you know, and but we know that's how they like to play. They're a tough team, aren't they? And they, if you want up to it, they'll, they'll knock you off the game. They'll bully you. That, that's what rugby league's all about, isn't it? Bullying your opposition. And I think Paul Rowley said that in the interview at the end. And uh, and they did say it. And the Salford had no answer to that. And it was a shame, really. But the lack of composure in the second half, we, we made a few chances, a few breaks. And, you know, Reese Williams was caught out. He was miles behind Dion Cross when he broke through. There was a couple of forward passes. And passes weren't sticking and, and things like that. So, yeah, like you said, I think that's the, the downside of Rowley Ball, or if you like, if, you, if you're going to call it that. When they are trying to force passes, it doesn't always come off. You'll get days where it doesn't and and for St. Ellen's a lot of things went right for them in that game Mm. and it's levels as well because obviously like you said St. Ellen's are a champion team Uh, they are used to playing with that intensity and that pressure week in week out and that's why they've got to level where they are and obviously we're still learning to get to that level and I thought second half they ramped up the pressure every set that Saints ended we were sat on our line or dropping out from behind our own post and it takes a lot out of your petrol tank if your players are continuously having to defend I think you've got to give Saints a lot of credit for the pressure they put on Solver mm. I mean I, I was thinking in the second half how many goal line dropouts have they forced they must have forced an awful I think it was well over half a dozen I might be wrong but it seemed to be every time they had a, a set they'd either score a try or, or force a repeat set and I think you can count on one hand the amount of time Solver had the ball in the St. Helens half particularly in, in sort of St. Helens' danger zone, the 20-metre line opposite Saints' line. I think we only got there once. Um, you just couldn't get out. And when you've not got the ball, you, you've got no chance. But you've got to treat the possession with respect as well. When you've got the ball, you've not had it for a while. You've got to hang on to it. It's You know, you hang on to it like a precious sort of couple of quid, don't you? You don't throw it about all over the place. You, you keep hold of it and look after it because when you've not had it for a while, you need to, you can't do anything without the ball, but they didn't when they got the ball, they were flinging it all over the place and yeah, it just, just wouldn't stick and I think 
when you're losing and when you're a few points behind, I think it was twenty six twelve at that time. You know you've got to force the pass. Then you need sort of three tries, don't you, to get back into the game, and you've got to move the ball. And it's a recipe for disaster that really, because when you when your luck's not in and you're not on, you just end up turning the ball over. Yeah. So here's head coach Paul Rowley. What do you have to say after the defeat? Right, Paul Rowley joins me. That match. Every time you come to St. Helens, you know it's going to be ferocious, don't you? Mm. And really tough. You got that today, didn't you? A real bruising encounter. Yeah, they're a champion team, and champion teams are physical, so uh, because ultimately we play a game where you've kind of got to bully your opposition, uh, uh, be bullied, or be, uh, bully or be bullied is kind of thing. So uh, I thought we were really comfortable in that first half, uh, taking a lot of fire at us, but giving a lot back as well. Uh, I thought we left some points on the field, I thought we should have been further ahead. Yeah, scored two excellent tries. For me, watching on the terraces, I thought the Shane Wright leaving the pitch was a massive turning point in the game. There, you lose a big tackler, and can you tell us a bit about the injury, Paul? He's, he's done look good, does it? No, he's in a boot, so uh, suspected uh, broken ankle. So that'd be a season for him. But um, so yeah, I mean, we just brought him on as well. So that was a, an enforced interchange really quick that we had to make. Uh, so start expecting your subs and, and obviously Shane affects our energy because he's uh, he's been so good for us the second half I think the first 10 minutes killed us really mm. three conceding three tries I mean some of them were gift wrapped to St Helens as well yeah. you can't afford to do that can you yeah architects have our own downfalls but in saying that uh, if we score one more try we're still in the game so uh, we just we seem to make enough opportunities but we, we didn't have um, you know we couldn't couldn't execute and finish them off. I thought we, I thought we had more than enough opportunities to score points, uh, but ultimately our discipline with the ball was shocking in that second half. And uh, you know you can go in the games like this where there's a lot of pressure put upon you through the aggressive nature of, of the defence, which is a credit to St. Um you, you you you've got the choice of it to be uh, hunt or be hunted. And uh, unfortunately, they came hunting for us, and we became a little bit of a victim in that second half, which is not is not a comfortable place for us. So we'll have hard chats and honest chats, uh, and the senior players will lead a lot of that. Uh, and they're a good group, so uh, they, they'll uh, they'll they'll quickly sort that up and uh, dust themselves down, ready for to go again. Rugby league can be a cruel game, especially modern day rugby league. Once a team gets a roll on against you, it's difficult to defend, is it? But do you think yeah. the pressure got to your players a bit in that second half? Because your effort's fantastic, but some of the, the passing, it was just loose, wasn't it? It was all over the place. It looked like some of the players had blindfolds on at times. The ball was all over the show, wasn't it? And it's difficult then when you're behind the eight ball, isn't it? Yeah, like I said, that's what pressure does. It affects your thinking. Uh, so, you know, it's... Uh, it's easy, it's easy sometimes, isn't it, to, to, to just uh, to say, and it seems pretty obvious at times, but uh, you know, when there's, there's some heavy artillery coming at you, uh, belting you, it affects your thinking and, uh, and, and, and that and fatigue set in and, uh, and bad decisions and choices were made and, uh, and, that's, and that's ultimately had a, that's how, that's how it painted the picture for us. Our, 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 again, our discipline with the ball was very, very poor. One thing this team doesn't do though is capitulate. I think to concede 26 points, they're all the possession that Saints had in that second half. You know that, that's a big mm. that's a big positive to take into next week in Huddersfield. No, they don't give up. We're very resilient. Uh, but again, if you give, you can be resilient, but you'll you'll you know and you, you'll still lose. And there's many a time we've been in a losing team or coached a losing team where you don't want to you don't want to go mad and shout and and scream because you know your team's worked as hard as they possibly could. But um, uh, you know again, I've. I've been in and I've coached, uh, uh, you know, some some sides that uh, have, have nearly won, 
uh, and we don't want to be one of them sides that nearly do it and do all right and uh, and, and have a crack and, and a brave. We, we, we'd rather be a side that uh, is the hunter, not the hunted. There's also some more bad news well, Andy Ackers. What's the script with him? Did he fail his head test? Yeah, he did, mate. So that's him. He can't play next week now. So you're going to be struggling for numbers next week. One or two sports have asked me recently to ask you about Adam Sidlow. What's the situation with Adam? How, how long is he away from? Three. Three more weeks. Yeah. So you're going to be struggling next week for numbers? Yeah. Yeah. Challenge Cup as well. Yeah. How do you approach that next week? That's an important competition for you, the mm. players, the supporters. It's going to be a tough game against the Ian Watson's of Like anything else, isn't it? We're, you know, we're, we know that. We're, 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 we're a club that, that's set on a cliff edge. And so uh, in terms of not having a a sizeable squad um, it's, it's not always a comfortable place to be on a cliff edge um, and so injuries get you in the end so uh, whoever pulls the shirt on will, will, will be great I've got no doubt about it uh, but we'll just have to see who's there to pull the shirt on that's the, that's first and foremost Are you the calmest man at Salford Paul? Because you always seem unflappable no matter how many injuries you've got you take it all in your stride and I think does that rub off on the players sometimes? Um, maybe they rub off on me I don't know it's because ultimately you control the controllables. I, what I try and do is I, I'm here at St Helens today, and 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 our team deserve to be here, and we and we expect us to win. It's as simple as that. So um, don't like creeping around. I like walking tall. I like I like I like us as a group putting our best foot forward, and, uh, and we're not bowing down to anybody. So uh, I'll fight this team's corner. Till the day I die, like you know. So and I think the supporters uh, really appreciate that, Paul. I think that what makes you one of us. Well, just passion, you know. So we're fighters, aren't we? That's and maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're, we're a bit of a match made in heaven. Thanks a lot, Paul, for speaking to us. Very best this week. Good luck against Huddersfield, mate. Cheers, mate. So that's Paul Rowley Talk to yourself after the game, Paul. And obviously, he was defending his players. He said he was proud of their efforts and. Uh, He's going to say that he is their coach, and obviously he was probably frustrated with how that second half played out. Yeah, I think you know you look at other teams in the league. There's a, without mentioning teams' names, there's a few teams where you think there's probably problems behind the scenes. Teams that have probably got a lot more resources than we've got, and um, there's probably problems that need patching up. But at Salford, I think what you see is what you get. I think there's a fantastic team spirit. Um, they're a great bunch of players and, and coaching staff. They're a real tight bond. I think even with the supporters as well, everybody's, you know, really sort of looks after each other at Salford. And yeah, you hold your hands up, and you you've lost the game, you've made mistakes, but the effort. I don't think you'd ever question the effort of that group of players. I think they they put the hearts on the sleeve, don't they? And go for it. Didn't come off for them on Saturday, but you know, Paul Roller would be proud of his players. I don't think he'd have gone in the change rooms and given them rounds of the kitchen. I think he knows that they put the effort in there and just not come up right and he knows he's got to put things right and they're going to be low on numbers for the Huddersfield game in the cup with, with the injuries they picked up and you know, that's a, that's an opportunity for other players who've been on the fringe to, to come in um, that's the only downfall with Salford is that they might run out of numbers because we've not got that massive squad but you've just got to keep going haven't you and, and Paul all his attitude is, is absolutely spot on yeah like you said Shane Wright out injured Andy Acker's probably the head knock so he might be out for a couple of weeks they have a small squad as well. Uh, Paul Rowley has to pick from anyway. So these players who are now carrying injuries, it's going to make his task in the Challenge Cup against Huddersfield even bigger. Yeah, you probably got to switch on, uh, Chris Atkin to, to Hooker, aren't you? I think that's the obvious one. You've also mm. got Amir Burra, who's been on loan at Swinton. Uh, Danny Adi, if he's fit, could, could come in and play. You've got Ben Halliwell, Andrew Dixon, who've been on the fringes and, and in the 18th, been the 18th man a couple of times. So they might feature. Callum Watkins can move to the back row. There's, there's, there's changes that you can make there. 
Um, I'm trying to think of some anybody else. Adam Sidlow, I think. Paul said he's got another three weeks, so he's not back yet. Tim Lafay is still uh, quite a bit off. Alex Gerrard was back at the weekend, and he, he looked to be back to not to his old best, but he's got to find his match fitness, and he, he plays the good minutes for Salford, so he's a, a good acquisition to get back into the team. So we've got seven days now to the to the Huddersfield game, haven't they? So, uh, so yeah, all's not lost, but he's going to have to do some uh, some patching up this week and assess his squad and just see who he's got fit and, and ready to play. Yeah, Huddersfield. On Saturday night at the Salford City Stadium, how big of a game is that for Salford season? Obviously, the Challenge Cup is is one we all want. Uh, but Ian Watson under pressure at Huddersfield, you know it's going to be a fascinating encounter. Yeah, it should be a great game. I mean, yeah, Challenge Cup's important because in rugby league, you've only got two trophies to win, haven't you? So you get knocked out of the cup, you've only got the league. And for Salford to win the league, it'd take something monumental, wouldn't it? So we're probably not favourites to go and win the league. But the way everything's structured these days, you get in the playoffs, you've got a chance, haven't you? So the Challenge Cup's massive. I think if you can get through this round, you're in the quarterfinals, aren't you? So, you know, you get a home draw in that and, and then it's it's anybody's business, isn't it? So this will be a tough game against Huddersfield, but... I think you look at Huddersfield, the way they're playing, the last two games, they got nilled at Ulkar 28-0 and they got beat 30 points to four, I think it was, at home to Lee. So they're, they're really struggling, they're struggling to score points, they're conceding lots of points, they're low on confidence, there's talks of unrest in the camp. Uh, I know Watto said that's a load of rubbish, but you don't know, there must be there must be low on confidence there, things aren't going right and, and pressure's going to build because Ken Davey and the Huddersfield supporters we're expecting, you know, big things this season, and a lot of pundits were saying they they're going to be going to win the league, but they're really desperately in in need of a victory, aren't they, at the moment? So, uh, so they're going to come to Salford under pressure. They've they've got to win, really, haven't they? So, uh, and with Salford with the injury situation, nobody really expects us to probably win the game. I think Huddersfield probably start favourites, won't they? So, but it should be a cracker. It should be a real cracking match Saturday night. It's an unusual uh, day to kick off, and it's Saturday Saturday evening, but uh, it should be a great game. Yeah, looking at the other fixtures in Super League, Hull FC travelled to Wakefield and won 26-6. Obviously, Wakefield rooted to the bottom of Super League, struggling at the bottom, still not won a game. Uh, championship may be calling for them. They got to turn things round, Rob, and I saw that game on Thursday night and I, I fancied Wakefield to, to get something about that. Hull have been low on confidence, but Hull have won a couple of games now and what I saw of Wakefield, they look very disorganised on attack. They, they, they're so blunt, they, they don't really look like scoring, do they? So, They've got to put put something right there, but you know, there's going to come a time when they're going to need to start winning because, as other sides start winning, a gap develops, doesn't it? So uh, they're in, they're in real trouble at the moment. Yeah, um, Super League new boys Lee uh, were away at Huddersfield and won thirty points to four. We talked about how Ian Watson is struggling, but resource Larboil. No, but I think you've got to give Lee an awful lot of credit. They've played some fantastic rugby this season. I listened to a bit of that on the radio on Friday night and, um, you know, uh, Trevor Hunt was commentating on it and they were just saying how well Lee were playing and, and we've seen that. We've played them twice and beat them twice, so that credit to Salford for, for beating them because they, they are getting some good victories. They've got they've got a big squad as well, haven't they? And plenty to choose from there. So they've got a real chance now of getting the playoffs. So um, I think that'd be fantastic if, if Lee and Solver could both get into the playoffs. So, But you look at that, I mean, at the moment, you've got Wigan, sort of Wigan Warrington and, and say LNG probably say, yeah, they'll get in the playoffs. But that, And Catalan as well. That leaves two more spaces. So who's over the two spaces going to go to? It could be Lee and Salford. So I think at the moment, the playoffs, apart from sort of Cass and Wakefield, everybody else is, is in with a chance. Hull are improving. Um, so it's going to be a fascinating uh, sort of second half of the season. Yeah, Warrington beat Hulkiar narrowly. Uh, the shock of the 
weekend was Leeds beating Wigan away from home, 40 points to 18. I mean, what a result that was after Salford beating them last week. Yeah, I, I watched that game on uh, on Friday night and, you know, Wigan, they looked pretty comfortable, really. I think it was 14-0 up and then obviously Leeds had a man sent off as well for, for a high tackle and, you know, 12 men there. For me, Wigan just had to play play a simple game, really. You're playing against 12 men, move the ball and, and, and in the right place in the field and, and you'll, you'll score points. But they seem to start throwing the ball all over the place, Wigan, and sort of real cavalier attitude. And, and Leeds picked up on that, got a few interceptions, got their own momentum. Leeds, Wigan got frustrated and, you know, Leeds ended up scoring 40 points. So it was a real, real strange game. But credit to Leeds, they've got the sort of players and, the, you know, they can do that. They can be awful one week and they can be great the next. So you can't count Leeds out as well. They'll probably be there or thereabouts when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, off the field, uh, Salford's supporters share scheme is going very well. Uh, there's a seminar organised on the 23rd of May, 7pm uh, till 9pm, uh, where owners can get together and they can learn a bit more about what's going on uh, behind the scenes and what you've invested in. Uh, obviously, the club are needing this investment to to move the club forward and it's exciting for everyone and it's great the club have organised this so fans know what's going on. Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, we were saying on our podcast, wasn't there, with Parky, that there's a lot of questions that people want to answer and, you know, and, and get together and discuss things. So, so yeah, it'd be good to, to do that, really, you know, and, and see which uh, direction the, the club is going in. And, you know, when you get people together in a room at these these sort of events, people have ideas, don't they? And, you know, they can snowball into, into bigger things. So, uh, so, yeah, get somebody together and I'm sure there'll be people with ideas and things that can push the club forward. Yeah, very exciting times for Salford Devils, obviously with the ladies team, the learning disabilities team, the physical disabilities team, the whole club involved in the community through the Salford Devils Foundation, Paul. It's a, it's an opportunity for the people of Salford to invest in the club and build it and become an even bigger club and better club for it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and not just the people in Salford, the businesses in Salford are as well you know, there's a lot of businesses based around the Salford area and the greater Manchester area who could get involved with this and, and sort of um, push their businesses forward as well so not just the people of Salford I think the, the wider area as well so it's a massive opportunity for, for a club that's you know look at where the, the stadium is and where the, the population around the area it's, it's huge the potential is huge for Salford so the sky's the limit really so it is an exciting time you know it could be on to something really really big Yep, so that's all the Rugby League chat. And now we're joined by James Sweetenham. James, I'm ready to talk all things boxing on the sports zone. Let's start with Tyson Fury. Yet another Tyson Fury fight has fallen through over money. This time it was Ante Ruiz uh, who's to blame. You've got to say it's Fury, hasn't it? I mean, we don't know what Andy Ruiz has requested. And I know in the past he has been responsible for asking for copious amounts of money. However, this is a bit of a pattern now with Tyson Fury, because we had the old issue with Anthony Joshua. The Alexander Usyk thing was getting pretty ridiculous, the 70-30 splits, and then on top of that, the refusal to even give him a 50-50 in a rematch if he'd have won in the first place. So it's getting ridiculous from Fury. So the fan base that was once so sturdy behind him, that once supported him no matter what, a lot of them are turning against him. And this Ruiz thing is just another kick in the teeth. I think we're going to get on to Zilly Zhang in a minute, but by the looks of it, that fight is off. So Andrew Ruiz seemed like the next best option. If he's off the cards, I don't know who Fury can fight in the summer that's going to bring any interest. Is obviously we talked about Tyson Fury sort of retiring uh, previously, but coming back. If uh, he can't get a fight together against anyone, does that mean he kind of self-retires himself again? 
In a sense, yeah, and it's interesting. I think we spoke about this before, though, but if he'd have retired straight after Dillian the White fight, he'd be so, so popular right now. That night after he beat uh, Dylan White at Wembley, that was directly after your 40th birthday party, if I remember correctly, Rob. <laughs> he was on top of the world. Everybody was saying this is one of the greatest ever. He had such a good reputation. And upon coming back, he's killed that reputation. He's turned off a lot of hardcore fans. And you're right, he almost is retiring himself because if he doesn't fight anybody, where's the interest here? It's, that's the thing, James. And I suppose that's interest is a big thing in boxing obviously that's what sells tickets that's what sells pay-per-views and if obviously he can't seem to to get a fight together with anyone um, his star will certainly start to fall it has fallen it's fallen drastically rob and granted it might all get brought back when he fights alexander usik in saudi arabia if that happens but it's a long shot away the idea that they're going to get this huge bumper bill together with fury versus usik and wilder versus joshua on the same card which is rumored right now it seems like a big ass. Let's not forget Fury had an opportunity to fight Usyk in the Middle East previously and he couldn't get the job done. So I don't know what's to suggest with an even bigger pot of money that he can this time. So it is difficult. And I think, you know, looking at this summer fight, he had the Jezora one and 60,000 people turned out that was pretty mental, really, to watch him fight a man he'd already beaten twice already. So the fans will turn out for these mixed matches by the sound of it. But after one, he needs a big name. And the only names on the table, really, were Ruiz and Zhang. And if he's not going to get either of them, I don't know what he's going to do. Interesting times ahead for Tyson Fury. Let's move on to Joe Joyce. He activated his rematch clause. That Was that a right decision? Joe Juice is a warrior. It's the right decision in terms of being game, in terms of winning the hearts of the public, in terms of being a natural fighter who wants to get a win back. In terms of it being a sensible decision, I don't think so. I think Zhang has a very bad style for him. Joe Juice works on work rate, being able to take as many shots as you throw at him, keep grinding forward, and ultimately bully you because of his size. But Zhang is southpaw. It's harder to do that. He's so sharp. He's so quick. He's, if anything, even stronger than Joyce's. So the juggernaut style doesn't apply very well to Zhang. So I'd have just avoided it, gone down another route. Granted, he wants that WBO interim title back. However, that's last in the rotation of the mandatory Terusik. He's a mile off getting a shot off that belt anyway. So I'd have gone a different route, Rob. I think in terms of his team, they've made the wrong call with this one. Is this legacy, uh, you know, planning for him? Obviously, you know, he wants that rematch to, to build his platform. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, if he wins... That would do amazing things for his legacy. But right now, for me, he goes in a heavy underdog role because there was nothing in that first fight that suggests he can beat Zilli Zhang. He was getting beaten near enough every single round and he was taking hard shots. And this is the worrying thing. Me and Paul were both in the Manchester Arena the night he fought Joseph Parker where he picked up his career best win. A beautiful left hook to finish it. But he was taking incredible amounts of damage. And me and Paul were both absolutely spellbound that he was able to take so much. But eventually... That chin that's taken you so far, it begins to wear down. You can't just use your face as your defence. It doesn't work like that. Eventually, that chin will disintegrate, and it does feel like that's what's happening right now with Joe Joyce. And I know that Zilli Zhang hits very hard, so it could have just been that anyway. But for me, Joe Joyce is going to slowly head down the other side of the mountain. And for somebody who has been so good throughout his career, that doing one specific thing, that is a worry. Yeah, it's, a, it's an issue there. Moving into last night's action, KSI produced an incredible controversial victory. Should it have been a no contest, James? I mean, it's difficult. Yes, really. I don't want to take away from KSI too much because he looked better than he ever has before. He was moving better. He was throwing better shots. 
But at the end of the day, it was a completely blatant elbow. And it's difficult to tell whether it's on purpose or not. He was getting the better of Joe Fournier, especially in that first round. The businessman looked like a deer in headlights in the ring with KSI. The second was closer. Fournier landed some of his own shots. KSI stunned him with a big overhand right, but then the elbow's as blatant as you like, Rob, and it puts him out cold. And for that reason, this can't be a legitimate win. Will it be? You know, looking at the way boxing is, probably. But should it be? Absolutely not. Yeah, I think, obviously, with, with boxing and, and elbows, it's they do get, boxers do get in tight, don't they? And, you know, elbows are, are sort of thrown. And, and I suppose referees have to be sort of uh, on the lookout for foul play like that. Yeah, they do. They do. The ref on this occasion hasn't spotted it. It's happened a little bit too quick for him. This is why we, the idea that we're not using video replays in boxing is mental to me, Rob. Because mm. it would be so easy to go, that is an elbow, that is an old contest, but they don't do it. And I know that there has been corruption with this in the past. I think there was a fight a few years ago, uh, Andrew Maloney, that was quite controversial, where they had obvious video evidence of something that happened and they completely ignored it. And that just shows you know, how corrupt boxing is. I mean, we had this last night with the Rolly Romero, Ismael Barroso fight over in the States, where Barroso was doing a good job and the ref stops it for seemingly no reason. I don't know whether he had money on this or not, but... It's pretty ridiculous, and I think they should be using video replays because for KSI, it was just so blatant. It's 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 a knockout shot with an elbow. Yeah, I was whole KSI is kind of a sort of an internet sensation as well. It does this add to his his uh, his character and his his profile among both the boxing uh, world and the world outside boxing. Yeah, people are definitely looking at it and going, you know, decentish performance. But for the people who haven't watched it outside of that sort of YouTube community, they're just seeing the highlight and it's an elbow finish. So mm. it doesn't it doesn't paint him in a good light, and it it takes away completely the previous six minutes of him doing some quite good work. It finishes on an elbow, and that's what everyone's talking about. And I don't like the way that he's you know still claiming it as a win when really it isn't. Mm. Does the finish take away from a good performance? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head. It does, most certainly, because as good as he was, right now I'm coming away from this not feeling impressed by his performance, but feeling quite bitter that he's been able to get the win off the back of that. Mm. It looks like Tommy Fury is next. Can he win that one? Anyone can land a lucky punch, but for me, no. Uh, I think Tommy Fury is, is way too good for him in every single department. Kersai is wild technically limited and granted his unorthodox style could maybe cause Tommy, you know, a couple of issues in the first round, but all in all, Tommy's a fast slicker boxer. I think probably just as big a puncher, far better foot movement, far better head movement, more seasoned, more experienced. I think Tommy just beats him everywhere, Rob. And I think when Kersai gets in the ring with Tommy, he's going to realise a serious level difference. Mm. And does that, will that make sort of an issue for the fight? Because obviously Tommy Fury is sort of an actual boxer who went into the celebrity world, while KSI is a person in the celebrity world who went into, into boxing. Yeah, they're definitely coming from two lanes. I mean, Tommy Fury had about 10 amateur fights by the time KSI first fought in his white collar match. For me, Rob, Tommy has already beaten the best YouTube boxer in Jake Paul. I think Jake Paul's a much much better boxer than KSI. And I think fundamentally he's got a far better defence. KSI for me is absolutely wide open. Tommy's not going to have any trouble picking him apart. I just don't see a game plan that gets KSI the victory other than landing an orthodox right hand. But even then you've got to put Tommy out and Jake Paul couldn't do that. Hmm. 
And obviously, like you said, Tommy Fury, he beat Jake Paul. He's going to obviously hopefully fight KSI. I mean, how does that sort of affect his career in the world of boxing? Because obviously, Tommy Fury is a is, is a boxer first and a celebrity second. So when will he be sort of taking on sort of real boxers, if that makes sense? KSI taking on proper boxers? No, Tommy Fury. Oh, obviously. Right, yeah, right, right, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, Tommy Fury... When he turned over pro, I remember we had him on the sports on years ago, yep. didn't we? And he was talking about world title aspirations and, and wanting to fight the best in the world. Tommy, right now, in his career, isn't capable of winning a British title. That, that's the short and bottom of it. Um, could he in the future? Yeah, potentially. He's got some you know, decent athleticism. He's got a good jab, good head movement. He's not an awful fighter by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not quite at that level yet. So why risk it going in for a British title fight to make... 10 grand, where you could fight KSI, a YouTuber, for several million. Mm. Th- that is the position Tommy's in. And because of his Love Island background, because of his background being Tommy uh, Tyson Fury's younger brother, he's interesting to this YouTube fan base. He can beat the likes of Jake Paul. He'll beat the likes of KSI, and he's picking up millions and millions and millions. That Jake Paul fight, currently, I think, is the second highest selling pay-per-view fight of the year, just behind Javonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. And I think internationally, it might be the biggest. Mm. So, this is the reason why he's going down that route. I suppose, like you say, boxing is big basis in it. And if you can find a way of making lots of money uh, doing the same thing you would do by fighting for, for titles, or, or like you say, if you lose a, a title fight or, or a fight that if you win would get you a title fight and your career ends there, that's when the, the money stops rolling in. So to be on this carousel of, of internet sort of boxers and, and getting big money is probably good for his career but is it good for boxing it's difficult it's growing his profile um is it good for boxing i'm gonna say yeah because even if one of these lads who's watching these youtubers fancies taking up boxing gets into the gym and changes his life around free boxing that can only be a good thing can't it it turns to tommy's social reach is massive and hopefully that's going to get people into boxing hopefully ksi is doing the same thing as well because you know, it, it, boxing is a sport that teaches discipline, teaches self-respect, and KSI Frights Create isn't somebody who's necessarily promoted those things. So the fact that he is now can only be good for his audience. Hmm. Uh, was there anything on note? Anything in note on the undercard, James? Yeah, there was a couple of decent fights. Uh, firstly, Rob, this was pretty mental. I think we had the highest weight matchup in history. We had two men who whose combined weight came to just shy of eight hundred pounds. Wow! So you can imagine the, the size of these two gentlemen in the ring. They were they were pretty pretty big boys. To put that into you know pounds for people, let's have a look how much is that. I mean, it, it, it's 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 an incredible amount of weight. The fact that they're even able to to move and to shift that around the ring is incredibly impressive. You look at that; it's twenty eight stone, nearly thirty stone worth of weight for each man. So. It, did it look dangerous at times? One of them was clearly better than the other, and there was a stoppage victory. Luckily, they got through it. From one aspect, you can look at this and say, you know, well done for them for trying. They've got in there, they've done something, they've started training, they've pursued a goal, they've got in there and they've done it, and they've taken their shirts off in front of all these people. So every credit to them from that aspect. So, so well done to them. On the other hand, it does make boxing into a bit of a joke, but at the same time, this is in its own lane. It's influencer boxing. It's not traditional boxing. And granted, we've got some higher-level matchups at the top end of the card with the KSIs, the Joe Fourniers, the Jake Pauls, the Tommy Furies, etc. But at the lower end, it is still this ridiculous circus. Hmm. And then looking at some of the other fights on the card, KSI's younger brother picked up a victory and 
Uh, Salt Pappy, who people were claiming was going to go down the pro route and was rumoured as an opponent for Tommy Fury, he got beaten by an ex-MMA fighter in quite uh, quite prolific fashion. Yeah, I suppose boxers come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? And I suppose we know boxing as a sport, it's one uh, person punches another person until they fall down. But um, I suppose when it comes to different sizes of people, um, it means different tactics and kind of different ways to play the sport. Yeah, I mean, at four hundred pounds, I mean, you've got to come up with new tactics. You've got to conserve your energy, haven't you? I mean, it's not difficult when you're that weight. It's difficult just to move. Realistically, it's difficult to shift your arms. So it's diff- it is difficult from that perspective. So you know, every credit to them. They've had to find a way to get the job done. And by the looks of it, one of them, his training has paid off because for his size, he looked relatively quick. Yeah, and. Obviously, with speed, especially with that power, it 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 could be devastating. But like you said, it, uh, you know that weight, um, every effort is 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 has to be made to stay, like you say, moving, don't you? And and it can be tough. Obviously, we look at all these different boxers, you know, the likes of uh, Muhammad Ali, and even back into the the olden days when they didn't really do sort of that much training. Um, you know, it, it, nature really sort of took over the boxing world really when they didn't train. Yeah, it did. I mean, I don't know what Muhammad Ali would think of all this influence of boxing that's going on now. God knows. But uh, yeah, uh, the game changes, doesn't it, Rob? And people change what they want to watch. And now these YouTube fights are getting more views than the mainstream. Mm. If you compare, you know, KSI's open workout to an open workout on an Eddie Hearn show the week before, the numbers are astronomically different. The landscape is changing. The way people are consuming content is changing. Is that for the better? I'm not entirely sure, but people have to move with the times and keep this market going. And for whatever reason, these sort of these almost I don't want to say freak fights, but these matchups with people who, who would never normally be in the boxing ring, they're captivating for people. Yeah, and does that make uh, is that a worry for the boxing world? Because people are sort of tuning in to watch two YouTubers box instead of watching two of the best athletes in the world that have gone through the process. Um, and making, you know, is it, did it make it a bit of a sham? Yeah, to an extent. Something that YouTube boxing does significantly better than professional boxing is that they give the fans the facts they want to see. Yeah. We've just got KSI Joe Fournier. We had Jake Paul, Tommy Furio, Jake Paul, Anderson Silva. Now we're getting Jake Paul, KSI. It's going the way it should be. Whereas in boxing, how long have we been waiting for Fury Joshua? Mm. How long have we been waiting for Fury Usyk? These fights just don't happen. They take years. I mean, there's so many that have passed us by. The, the Hatton Whitakers or the or Khan Brook, for example, took 10 years to get on. So did Mayweather Pacquiao. We have to wait forever. And people just lose interest, ultimately. Mm. In uh, more controversial news, Boxer just ruined a massive heavyweight fight. Tell us about that. They did, and this is just typically pro-boxing. So Fraser Clark is ordered to fight Fabio Wardley for the British title. Fraser Clark, only 6-0 as a pro, whereas Wardley's about 15-0, something like that. But the difference in amateur experience is vast. While Wardley, the more experienced pro, has only two white-collar fights to his name. So that's sort of just your average white-collar bill where people are learning to fight over six weeks. So probably about a 12-weeks worth of amateur experience all in all. Whereas Fraser Clark was a bronze medalist at the Olympic Games, has a very vast amateur career to a very high standard. So despite the fact that he doesn't have that much pro experience, you'd expect him to have the skills and the minerals to be able to beat somebody like Wardley or at least compete with him. 
the fact that Boxer initially wanted to pull him out was not a good sign. Ben Shalom was complaining about the finance, uh, the finances and the fact that Fraser Clark had only had so ever many fights and he shouldn't have been ordered in the first place. But then to lead us down the garden path, to then bizarrely make Wardley an offer and then pull him out because you don't think he's had enough fights, but then also saying that he would have beaten Wardley on his first fight. It's extremely contradictory. It's hypocritical. And Shalom is somebody who's always claimed that he would do his best for the spot, that he'd be willing to work with other promoters and do all these things. And he hasn't. Uh, he's let everybody down. He's let his fighters down. The excuse is ridiculous. Supposedly, Fraser Clark was actually in tears over being told that he wasn't allowed to take the fight by his promoter, whether that's because he was worried about losing the purse bid, and it going to I don't know, but he's really, really, possibly irreparably damaged the reputation of his fighter. Is boxing politics ruining boxing? Undeniably, this is just another example of boxing kicking you in the teeth. It's so frustrating, and it's just the blame goes to Ben Shalom and Ben Shalom alone, and and the whole boxer team. And, I suppose possibly Sky as well if they were worried about their star man going. But it's not like Fraser Clark's the biggest name in the world. And he's, he's, he's 34 years old, I think. So he needs to get moving. He needs to get some of these big fights. He needs to move quicker than most. He stayed in the Olympic cycle because Anthony Joshua and Joe Joyce beat into the Olympics. But now that goal is out of the way. He needs to ascend at a rapid rate. And Ben Shalom's preventing him from doing that. Mm. Can Boxer recover from this? I suppose they will. I suppose people will go to their shows. But in terms of, as a promoter, people will always refer to the moment that Ben Shalom pulled a Commonwealth, uh, sorry, an Olympic bronze medalist out of a fight against a common uh, against a white collar boxer. Mm. It really is that bad, Rob. Right, right. Uh, final one. Ellis Zorro picked up a big win at York Hall, and there was a huge fight afterwards. Talk us through that. Yeah, congrats to Ellis Zorro. Big win, a dynamite right hand to lay out Jose Burton, who's had a bit of a peculiar career. I remember earlier on, he, I remember him beating Mal Shinquin at the Manchester Arena in a big performance. And then he fought Frank Buglioni, and he was way up in that fight, and he ended up getting chinned, and he's just never looked the same since. I think he beat Bob Adjusef, but aside from that, every other time he's stepped up to the plate, he's been beaten. So a shame for him. Maybe he should look at potentially calling it a day, because ultimately, if you're not able to win at the level you want to compete at... There isn't much point carrying on. And, you know, he's had a good career. He's had some big fights. For me, I'd call it a day. As for his opponent, he goes on to bigger and better things. So I'm looking forward to whatever he does in his career. As for the big fight at York Hall, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, really. People think they're the boxers. And there was a mass brawl. And obviously, the security struggled to, to keep hold of it. And we don't encourage that here on the sports zone, Rob, do we? But now looking ahead to the world of football. And Manchester United picking up a 2-0 win all the Wolves, Martial bagging early and Ganacho bagging in stoppage time to put the icing on the cake. And after a bit of a difficult spell for Manchester United, this is extremely welcome. Yeah, James, obviously, you know, we, we were worried about the, the, the race for the top four. Um, Man United's form away from home uh, is, is, is bad, uh, but the home form is, is better. Uh, good win against Wolves, like you said, anti-Martial uh, with a goal uh, for United. Um, it's been a while since he's found a, found a, a bit of form and, and, and ability to score goals. You're hoping, obviously, with these two or three games left in the season, he can uh, reignite his Manchester United career because, obviously, you know, from what he promised when he first came to Man United to what he delivered is, is chalk and cheese. So a goal against Wolves, important for Hentag. Uh, you're hoping it can be a springboard uh, for him. Yeah, and obviously Newcastle lost 2-0 to Arsenal, which now puts us level on points with Newcastle with three games to go. 
How do you see this one playing out? Can we take them over, or do you think they'll get third place? Well, this is it. With Newcastle, uh, they've had a great season. Uh, Eddie Howe, you know, that team is very disciplined. It all comes down to mental uh, strength of, of the players. Can they deal with the pressure? Even with Man United, they're under pressure being Man United and Hentai coming in and, and wanting to change the culture. It's going to be fascinating to, to see. Um, obviously, Le- drawing with Leeds it wasn't wasn't the best uh, result for uh, Newcastle. But Big Sam, you know, his first game at Leeds, getting a result there. Still in the relegation zone, James. So it, it's not the greatest news, but... You know, it's it's a thing that leads to look at and, and think they can uh, sort of improve on that next week. Yeah, most certainly. And looking ahead to this game against Bournemouth, how do we think that one's going to go? Well, another another tricky game. Bournemouth away is, is a team uh, that we really kind of need to, to watch. Um, if you want to finish in Champions League, though, uh, you've got to go to Bournemouth and win. Uh, so that's going to be in, in Tag's mind, the players' mind, the fans' mind. Uh, there's always crucial moments in the season uh, that you can sort of look back on and think, yeah, that was the moment that, that won us the league, or that was the moment that, that got us in the Champions League, or even that was the moment that got us relegated. Uh, and this could be one of them. Uh, if we can't go to Bournemouth and get a result, then it will be a, a sort of really tense uh, last couple of weeks uh, for, for the for Manchester United to see if they can sneak into uh, the European Champions League. Talking about sort of Hentag, James, uh, they've talked about a youngster, Ahmad Dillot, who's on loan at uh, Sunderland. He's playing well um, f- for them and he says that he's a, a future of Manchester United. Uh, he's been named Young Player of the Year at Sunderland after some impressive performance. He scored a wonder goal, I think, at weekend as well. Um, so, He'll be one to watch when he comes back to Old Trafford. He will. I've seen some of his performances and he looks a real star of the future, doesn't he, Rob? He uses class, he uses skills, and I can't wait to see me on the Old Trafford pitch. And Eric Ten Hag is a man who knows how to bring talent through with Manchester United or a side who have always had this reputation with the likes of Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, David Beckham. They take youngsters and they make them into something special. And for my liking, I think he's a star in the future. Yeah, not long till the FA Cup uh, final. Uh, there is planned uh, rail strikes on that day and the FA have decided to provide 120 coaches for both Man United and Man City supporters to take them down to Wembley. Um, it's going to be horrendous. Uh, anyway, it's bad enough when you've got uh, normal traffic getting to Wembley, but if you're going to add 120 coaches uh, to the mix, um, you know, thoughts and prayers to all the, all the fans going down. Absolutely, Rob. It's going to be a bit of a disaster for every single one of them. And, you know, as we're getting into those moments, it's going to be a hot day in the bus. It's going to be a nightmare. But at least they can get there. At least these coaches are available for fans who want to go support their team in what is ultimately possibly the biggest game of the season. And as much as Manchester City are pursuing this Champions League, the fact that they're playing Manchester United in a cup final, they'll probably want to win that just as much, Rob, because the last thing you want to do is lose to your rivals in the final of a major competition. Yeah. Talking about Man City, they were in uh, Champions League action. Drew one all with Real Madrid. Uh, you know, it's a top European game against a top European club. club. Um, Kevin De Bruyne with a goal for Man City. Uh, it's poised to be a thrilling second leg on uh, Tuesday. It is, Rob. And I'm leaning right now towards Manchester City, but how are you feeling? Well, it's it's an interesting thing I saw, uh, I heard on the radio uh, that the 
obviously they talk about Man City being cursed by a, a shaman and that's why they hadn't uh, won the league uh, in the last uh, oh sorry won the European Cup in the last uh, few years uh, but the shaman in in, in sort of question has now decided to release the curse so Man City are free to, to do what they need uh, we obviously can't prove that whether that's right or wrong uh, but we'll have to wait and see but it probably uh, warms the hearts of Man City fans that you know there's another obstacle out the way for them yeah, most certainly, and it just seems like they're getting that way. And obviously, you don't want to be losing to somebody who's performing voodoo or magic or whatever you call it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good that that's out of the way. It's good that they don't have to focus on that, and hopefully, that they can potentially put in as good a performance as possible to win this matchup. Will they? Who knows? But uh, you know, you'd like to think the way they're performing at the moment, they've got every single chance of doing Rob, and, and this could be their year. And after so many, you know, ways of getting it wrong. Guardiola surely is going to have to find the ability to come up with a game plan here. Yeah, well, he's, he's got it so wrong so many times in Europe, and to uh, getting towards the back end of competitions. But this season, he's got the the magic ingredient of Erling Haaland. He was voted Footballer Writers Player of the Year uh, this weekend. James got eighty two percent of the vote. Uh, he's City's main goal scorer. He's the difference between. The old Man City and and the, you know the new Man City, um, he knows how to score goals and that's why they're on the target for for all the trophies that they could win because he manages to find the net in in pressure moments and uh, I'm sure um, Pep Guardiola will be be looking at him to to be a key player in this uh, run up to the end of the season. Most certainly, Rob. I mean, Manchester City playing well doing exceptional. It's looking like they're going to win the league. They have every chance of winning the Champions League and possibly... The and now moving on to Salford City, Rob. And it was jubilant last night as they produced a 1-0 win over Stockport as part of the playoffs. It's looking like they may well make League One. Incredible from Salford. What was your opinion on the match? What a scenes, James. Obviously, a local derby against Stockport playoff action uh, Peninsula Stadium you know rocking um, it's just what the people of Salford sort of need uh, the football team to be it was a great occasion uh, Matty Smith with the only goal of the game for Salford they've got, still got a lot of work to do Stockport have come up from the National League last season so they've got a wave of momentum behind them but Salford have the goal Salford have the lead 90 minutes, they've got to go to Wesley Park. It's going to be a really tough, tough encounter uh, sort of next week, James. But I'm sure, you know, the people of Salford will get behind, they'll get down there in good numbers uh, and we'll see what happens at weekend. I imagine there'll be an absolutely enormous crowd at Stockport next week, Rob. This is truly a massive game. Probably yeah. the biggest in Salford's history so far. A win will lead them to Wembley. That'll be amazing. And it's a local derby, like you said, one that there's a real grudge in. I imagine Salford will want to want to give Stockport everything they've got to pick out the win, to make it to that final. And off the back of the 1-0 win, as you say, momentum is wisdom. The manager knows how to get the jobs done. The players have been playing extremely well, and I think they've got every chance of pulling this off. Yeah, it's, it's exciting times. Obviously, we've talked about the journey that Salford City have been on with the class of 92 behind them. And, you know, it's it's just another chapter in it of the of the story that, you know, that's been written uh, for the Amis. But, you know, we're excited about it, especially Stockport being a local derby. You know, it adds that bit of extra zip to it as well. And, you know, we're, we're going to be looking at it, you know, all the ups and downs of the season that, that they've gone through. Um, and obviously, one game away from Wembley, they managed to get a result in Stockport. 
you know, anything can happen in a in a Wembley Power Final. There's so many dramatic ones that we've watched over the years, and uh, and this next one could be a, a similar one. Yeah, it could well be, Rob. We've seen these teams come on leaps and bounds, haven't they? Salford, you know, since they very first started, they've been gradually improving. And granted, they've had a lot of money pumped into them, but there's always been some great management. And the players have really rallied together. There's some great chemistry in that team. And when they're ticking, they look absolutely beautiful on the ball, don't they? There's some fantastic link-up play. And I think that they can take that into League One. And with continued investment, who knows how well they'll do. We've always said on this show that there's a possibility that they could maybe go as far as the Championship. And I'm not writing them off from doing that just yet. No, it's, it's certainly a possibility. And obviously... As things expand and and if they go further in the, up to the championship, the the football in the area's interest will grow. Growing fans will grow. You know, fans' interest will grow. Crowds might grow, and then suddenly you got momentum. Obviously, Salford is a rugby league city, but you know, with Manchester United and Man City, you know, football is a competitive marketplace in it, and it'd be interesting to see if Salford do continue to rise up their divisions, if they can make an impact on the likes of Man City, Man, Man City, Man United supporters who watch Man United and Man City, are they able to put that to one side and, and go and follow the Amis uh, instead? Who knows? I mean, it's good to have another local side, isn't it? I mean, obviously, in terms of rugby, you like to go watch Swinton every now and again. A great side, a team we often talk about right here on the sports zone. And I think for all these Manchester United fans, it's, you know, Salford is another natural team to support. Obviously, you've got the likes of Scholes, Neville, Beckham, Bott, etc. involved in this. So why not give Salford a bit of support? If you're a Manchester United fan and you can make the trip down to Stockport to give the boys a bit of support, I suggest you do so. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Obviously, you know the ecosystem of, of of Salford Sport. We've got so many great clubs in the area that you know perform, you know, fantastic sport in occasions for all the fans. And you're listening to this show, and you've got interest in in the sport in the city. It's great that obviously we have so many talented teams. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I mean, if you're in this local area, look at what we've got. I mean, we've got in terms of rugby, Sale. And Salford Red Devils right on your doorstep. Manchester United, Salford, Manchester City. We've got all the boxes that are coming through at the moment. We've got a fantastic array of sport to watch. Even the ice hockey with Manchester Storm. It is pretty much endless for local teams for us to get behind as fans. I think if you're a sports fan and you've got a week of no football, get yourself down to the ice hockey. Yep. Get yourself down to the rugby. It's all there. It's all on our doorstep, Rob. And you're somebody as a fan who, who seemingly has experience in going to all these different disciplines. Yeah, got Manchester Giants basketball. You've got Lancashire Lightning cricket. You know, it's a feast of of sporting activity in it in the uh, in the Manchester and Salford and Great Manchester area. You know, that's what makes it so exciting. Um, obviously, looking outside the uh, the local area, uh, James uh, Potticino has been announced as uh, Chelsea's uh, new coach, uh, former Tottenham coach. What do you make of that? Interesting decision. Somebody who's always proved himself to have managerial minerals, so I hope that he puts up a good display as the manager. Will he? Who knows? I mean, that that that's that's remains to be seen, doesn't it? But if you were to make a prediction, Rob, how do you think he'll get on? Oh, well, it's it's pressure. The Chelsea job is 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 relentless, isn't it? And you know, we talk about uh, you know what Chelsea have become under these new owners, and he makes you wonder, really, you know what. Uh, 
what is to come? Is he coming into a bear trap there that, that's going to ruin his career? He had a decent career away from uh, Tottenham and he's coming back to the Premier League. Will people you know, forget about his, his Spurs connections and can he make his own way in the game at Chelsea? Too much uh, to speculate there, Chelsea. Lots going on behind the scenes, lots of big players uh, in, involved as well and uh, it'll be fascinating to see uh, what happens with, obviously, with about a minute to go, James. We know what, what happens with, with, with that. I don't quite know, Rob. It's a tricky situation. I don't know how it's all going to go down. But what I will say is that we'll cover every last minute of it on the Sports Zone, as we always do, Rob. Because when it comes to sport in this area, in this country, we break it down on a week-by-week basis. We love to talk it all through. And I can't wait to see this all again with you next week, Rob. So to close the show, have you got any passing messages? So, Manchester United ladies were in action this weekend in the FA Cup. They faced Chelsea ladies um, and obviously a massive occasion for the women's game um, how the women's game has grown through the uh, last few uh, years with the World Cup and it's been a great occasion sell out at Wembley you know all the fans going down supporting the ladies in this uh, massive uh, game it shows that there is a demand and how people interest are interested in Manchester United and Chelsea and the women's uh, game itself. So unfortunately for Manchester United ladies, they went down to defeat against Chelsea in the ladies FA Cup final at Wembley. They went down 1-0. 77,000 in attendance at Wembley shows how much the ladies game has grown. So big thanks to us this week's Bulls on Salford City Radio. We'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. (laughs) 